going to be an idol. And what does an idol do? It builds you up to, to, to knock you down. It offers you something that it can't fulfill, and then it, you become a slave to that, to that thing. And the idea of idolatry, right, it's not, a, it's not a word we use a lot, right? It's not. It sounds antiquated. Is that the word? Like sounds like, like old, old-fashioned. It's not. Primitive. It exactly, kind of. It's primitive, yeah. It sounds like, well, yeah, we're not idolaters. What are you, what are you on about? That doesn't, that doesn't apply to us. But guys, can I ask you, how much of your heart is occupied with the worship of God? How much of his love do you lavish in each day? How aware of you? How, how much is the bend of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength by turning towards God? Because if it's not, it's not just that then it's like turn towards something benign or turn towards something that's not harmful. We're always worshipping something. And if it isn't God, it's something else. Jeroboam's sin is like the same as our own sin, that we can worship at the altar of our own self-sufficiency, Boy, with our lives without any recognition of God, we can worship at the altar of our own achievement, carving out identity for ourselves to the things we manage to do and what people say about us. We may not be kings of Israel, right? But we act as like kings of this life, like an independent, autonomous unit, unresponsible for this life and where it goes and what it believes and what it says and, and what it does. But really, we need, we need the King of Kings. We need Jesus. We're very good at doing, I think. In particular, like you talk about idolatry in all sorts of aspects. One of the like big themes of scripture that shows us and reveals to us the nature of how we function as humans. But specifically in the ways that Jeroboam seemed here, I think there's there's something that we can we can we can learn from. See, it didn't it didn't suit Jeroboam to do the things that God had commanded. So there were things that he knew that he was meant to do with God, but it didn't, it didn't suit him to do them because he would lose out on something that had become important to him. And you see, it's even when it's like a good thing, he treats this, like God has blessed him with his kingdom, it's God who's prophesied you're going to get this kingdom, but it becomes like, it becomes God to him rather than God becoming God. So whatever it is, his sense of power, the prestige, holding on to what this has, like the years, like finally realizing that after years of living in Egypt in exile, coming back in, seeing the prophecy fulfilled, all that good stuff, right? But now it becomes God to him. Good definition of an idol I heard during the week is that they're good things that become, that are good blessings but are bad gods. Yeah? Good gifts but they're bad gods. Anything that overtakes our heart and then it determines our actions. So two things come into into, into play. It's this cognitive dissonance. Like on one side, he's got like this stuff that I've been blessed with, this responsibility I have as king, even protecting my own life from like people turning against me, right? And then on the other side, there's what God has commanded. And when they come, when they come into into like action, like into like face to face with one another, one always loses out. And in this case, he changes his understanding or his view of God to facilitate what's overtaking his heart as the center of his identity, as his worth, his idol, his desire for control and his fear of losing what become dear to him leads him to make up his own version of following God. Can I tell you that 100% of the time, that's what an idol will do, which is this man. 100% of the time. And there's something else that functionally you're looking to, to make you feel good, to, give you an identity. Like when it comes face to face with God, it'll always make demands. And in that space where something has to give, 
The temptation is always for us to change, to compromise on what it is that God has called us and what it is that God has said, who it is that he says you are. Changing, like the, the temptation is always to write that out. Actually, like, I could just interpret the Bible in a different way there. Maybe God didn't really say that. You know, I'm sure at the root of it all doesn't God just want me to be happy. So kind of whatever I want to do fits into that catch-all of God wanting my happiness. Or, sure, there's a God of God of grace. It doesn't matter if I, if I sin or if I do the wrong things. Like, God will forgive me. All of these ways that we, we, we trick our mind to really, to really follow after what it is that's occupied our heart. And at that time, when they come up against the things of God, we can choose to, to protect them. And my question, and who am I, yeah, who am I, is to ask you, what might you allow to be so dear to your heart that it surpasses your love for God and your obedience to what he's called you to do? It doesn't have to, like, it's more likely to be a good thing than a bad thing, yeah? Because that's the nature of how idolatry works, right? It takes good things and it makes family, possessions, wealth, prestige, comfort. It takes those things and it makes them the ultimate thing. What is it in your life that is likely to have that power if you were to analyze your own heart or if the Holy Spirit was to search your heart? That's the definition of, a, of an idol. We don't use that language a lot so we can look at this story and think, oh, foolish, primitive, Israelites, worshiping cows. But the Bible is telling a deeper story, one of the heart and its tendency to give the position that God should hold to something else. And all the time God is calling out, guys, love me, I love you. I love you, like respond, like I love you. I love you. Like the faithful husband is constantly being cheated on. Like, I love you. Welcome back. I love you. I love you. His love so great that he just like welcomes back. Even when we've been unfaithful. I love you. I love you. Just calling out to us. He's like, can you not just see how much I love you? And you did. Then the response would be that you would love me in return with all your heart. I love you, church. Just constantly calling out, calling back. Commanding us, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you love anything else with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's going to rob you. It's going to lead you down a path and beat you. It's going to leave you depressed and anxious and worried. It's going to leave you messed up in life. Will you just, will you just respond to my invitation to receive, to receive my love? I love you. I've proved it in the life of my son, given for you on the cross. What more, what more does he need to do? Like I love you. Like you can't, you can't imagine. I want to satisfy your soul. He's just constantly calling out to us. It's this ongoing battle <clears throat> for our hearts. They're idols are things that we, we, we can even take the blessings of God like Jeroboam did. And uh, like I said, they make good gifts but bad gods. It's good that God blesses you with a good job. If it becomes your God, it becomes an idol. That's a bad thing. It's good that God blesses you with wealth. You've been able to provide for your kids and provide for your family. If that becomes a God in your life, it's a bad thing. It's good to have a good family but if they overtake the position of God in your life then you won't serve them well you'll serve them better if God is filling your heart with, with love for them we need to keep things in the right place and when the blessing overtakes the blesser as the centre of our world then you become obligated to it you become a slave to it that the job that you really wanted now you have it, it owns you you're afraid of losing it compromise on the amount of time you should be given to it. It overtakes. Why? Because if I just do this, I get the promotion. If I just do this, I get more money. If I just do this, I'm secure in the job and then I can do always deferring like our job. If I just do this, then I can look after my family after. Always deferring this stuff and deferring, deferring, deferring the day never comes. It's ruthless. It's relentless. The relationship that you wanted 
and you get it and you're afraid of losing it. And then it makes all sorts of claims on your life. You step over lines you didn't want to step over. You find yourself doing things you didn't want to do. You find yourself putting up with things you didn't want to put up with otherwise because you're afraid of being alone. You're afraid of losing the relationship. You're afraid of of being rejected. You're afraid of losing the effort that you put in. This thing that could have been and should be a blessing and good to you is overtaken and becoming a place of God. You're a slave to that thing. You're a slave to the good things. And this is what happens to Jeroboam because it's what happens to us all. It's that we become slaves to the things that are good. And in in Jeroboam's case in particular, he takes it into like how he interacts with with God. And I just think there's something to learn in here, right? It's like you put a plaster of religion over stuff and then you're still serving the old gods, right? But you have like the appearance in some way of serving serving God and we we kind of fool ourselves into it. Well, look, the God stuff is ticked. I'm doing doing this, this, and this. What does Jeroboam do instead of, he knows what God has said and he knows what God has said is holy and is specific and in that time and place is how that people were meant to engage and worship God. But instead, he like makes a version of it up. Right, so look, instead of going to Jerusalem and worshiping there, I'll make these cows and you can worship here. Instead of going to Jerusalem for that festival where you're meant to, where God has commanded you to be with all the people, I'll make up my own festival here. We don't have any Levites right now, so um, they're all up in Jerusalem doing stuff, so I'll take some other people and I'll make them priests. And we've nobody to offer sacrifices on the altar, even though God has ordained, like through chapters and chapters and chapters of the word, what, what the, the requirement is for that. He's like, so I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Right? I'll, I'll offer the sacrifice on the altar. And he's just taken what God has commanded, something that's holy, something that's precious to God. In that season, God is teaching them about his holiness. Yeah, He's teaching them there's going to come one who's the greater sacrifice. There's going to come one who's the true temple. There's going to come one who will send the Holy Spirit into all of our lives. We won't need to be in Jerusalem or in a place where we get to worship the Spirit and truth. Right? But that time wasn't wasn't now, right? Like at that, at that time wasn't then, sorry. That, that, that they had specific things that were holy to God that he was trying to teach them. And he just bypassed those things and made up versions of it. And gave very, very little uh, attention to what God had actually said. Why? Because there can only be one ruler of your heart, guys, and whoever that ruler is will rule everything. And will cause even, you know, you can give lip service and sing the songs, Jesus your Lord, but if money is really your Lord, going to rule over in what way you even interact with Jesus, how you read his commands the verses that you just gloss over like oh I don't know don't know about that one and the verses that you really delve into because it affirms what you already want to believe but if things are holy, if God has showed us a way to live and be, then surely he should have the right to, to say that, surely we should listen but the world, the world the world will tell you I'll even sound mad saying this stuff right because the world will tell you here's Here's, what, here's your responsibility in life. Be true to yourself. Yeah? Now, how do you argue against that law? Be true to yourself. Do you know what I mean? Or follow your heart. That's what, that's what the world will say. But, but God says, well, don't, don't follow your heart. <laughs> there's a battle going on for your heart. There's a whole load of stuff that could be going on in your heart that will lead you astray. There's a whole load of things like battling for your attention. And when you follow those things, they're going to lead you further into, into slavery. Well, to say, you know, you just figure it out for yourself that you determine how you engage with God. Find a church that suits you. Find a spirituality that suits you. Take a little bit from here, a little bit from there, you know, and just figure it out. And you, you make what works work for you. There's very little attention, guys. Can I say it? At times in my life I've been there, right? Given to what God has actually said, what, what Jesus has actually commanded. You're with me because I think we, I think we do this stuff. 
that we rationalise at times, right? And this might sound painful, not believe me, I'm speaking into a mirror. We rationalise our faith, we rationalise the things God has said at times to legitimise the way that we really want to live. Um, and meanwhile, there's a God who's reaching out in grace saying, man, if you just trust in me, if you just step in and you could just see that the things that I'm commanding are good and pleasing and perfect, it might look counterintuitive. It might feel mad when I say when you lose your life, you'll really find it. But, but let me tell you, you'll find it. Like to live in light of eternity. The world treats the heart as king. And will tell yourself, be true to yourself, listen to your heart, and everything will work out. But I'm telling you, the Bible says, don't be an idiot. Don't trust your heart. It says the heart is deceitful above all things. It says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That's why we need the words. That's why we need the revelation of Scripture. That's why we need the person of Jesus. That's why we need the person of the Holy Spirit living our lives to lead us into all truth. To be able to recognize the lies of the world and what it has to offer. Even at the most fundamental level, there's a group of people, there's a whole planet building their lives on the sand. Jesus says, but the one who's wise will listen to the things I say. And look, the man who builds his house on the rock, the wind comes and the waves will stand. You can have a life that will stand, but it's just, oh man, how often we just, we're so quick, like, I don't know, jacking the beans, selling our inheritance for like a handful of beans, you know what I mean? Like, God has called us to this cross, because he's so gracious, he's so good, and we choose our own way, like he's not good, like he's ever been unfaithful. Lord, forgive us, Lord, have mercy on us. Just like, pick our own ways of following him, like Jesus hasn't existed and told you, this is, on the way, on the way, on the way, on the truth. I'm the life. You'll find life in me. We say, oh, okay, maybe. Lord, have mercy on us. Draw us to your heart. Convince us of your goodness. He's so good, God. He's so good. The world will just tell you, be true to yourself. I'll say, like, no, no. Did you make you? Do you know the beginning from the end? Do you hold all things together? Be true to him. Be true to him who's called you, gave his life for you. Be true to him. Who loved you, creates you. Be obedient to him. There's just so much, there's just so much distraction. I hear it, I hear it around the place. I've probably even said it or acted in that way, right? So I don't hear any condemnation other than the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But I, I hear, you know, I'm just going to find a church that works for me. Yeah? There's a danger. That in saying that, you could be saying, I'm going to find a church that doesn't challenge my need for comfort or control or approval or whatever the particular idol is that's, that's dominating your heart right now. I hear it says, you know, the way I see it, it's just about, it's just about me and God. It's bullshit. Where, who said that? Who's, like, who says that? It's just about you and God. You? Does Jesus say that? Like, where, like, where do we get, like, well, it sounds true to us. It sounds good to us, yeah? Because what you're immersed in, day in, day out, I don't worry about it, it's just about you and God, once you have a relationship with Where do you find that in scripture? Like who are we defaulting to? And why are we defaulting to something else other than what, what Jesus said? And I would say it's because there's things, there's things in your heart that are demanding that. There's things that are demanding it. They're coming face to face. You might be aware of it, but if you become aware of it, then we have the opportunity to respond. In the middle of it, who, who am I? I'm going to tell you that, 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 that I'm, I'm an idolater. The best in times. Allow all sorts of things to occupy the space that only Jesus could occupy. I sometimes compromise on my faith. Sometimes compromise on the things that I know God wants me to do because I'm living for the approval of others or achievement. I'm afraid what people will say. But I'm Jeroboam. 
But I have a saviour. And I have someone who's gracious towards me and loving towards me. And I have a substitute in Jesus Christ who came and lived for the will of the Father and who lives in me now by the Spirit and enables me to change from the inside out. Who is God? God is sovereign, guys. God is overall. Even in the middle of this mess in Kings, if you read the whole of the story, what's he doing? He's working and working and working until the culmination of things, Jesus comes. And now he's working and working and working in his church, purifying for himself, beautifying a bride that he'll return for until the world is our great hope, until the heaven and earth are united in the new heavens and the new earth, and that people's wills are connected with the will and the heart of God and they live loving them with all their hearts and souls and mind and strength and they live loving their neighbour as themselves and they live reconnected to what the reason God has created them for and they live in relationship with the King of Kings and we can taste, we can have that right now. But this is the story of the King of Kings. When we give him our allegiance he enables us to tear down the other idols of our hearts and he frees us from their oppression. He's the one who changes us from the inside out. But that deep need for approval, that that's gone and won in Jesus and his righteousness that's given to you as a gift and the same way that God looked at the Father. The Father looked at the Son. He looks at you right now because Jesus has gifted you his righteousness, the benefit of his record as if you've lifted itself. That's the power of the gospel, the need for control in our lives that that can settle in in our hearts where we need to control our own destiny. Like that need for control is the feeling when we realize the great love that the King above all kings has, the one who knows the beginning from the end. One who has wisdom we can't even begin to, to comprehend the scope of in the way that he holds all things together. Operates, it says, for the benefit and the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That you don't have to understand what's going on in the world because the one who controls the world and understands the world loves you and has made you for a purpose. The need for comfort dissolves in light of eternity. Man, if we really believed in eternity... <laughs> Are you really believed in eternity and what we did in this life mattered? Like if that actually made its way into our hearts, imagine the difference. Not just living for today, not just like deferring for tomorrow in the short term, but living in light of forever. Forever, don't store up for yourself treasures on the earth where moths decay and everything rusts, but store up treasures in heaven like forever. But that stuff would, would disappear. And it's the truth and what we just need to know that Jesus demolishes these idols and offers us escape from the loops of hot and cold, in and out, going bad for a while, then going good. And the way to do it, guys, is like the practices that we've worked through, is nailing down, it's just like, do what he says. Another scene from the, another scene from the Chosen, Jesus' first miracle, where he turns the water into wine, his ma turns to him and says, whatever he says, do it. Right? And they do it, and the water is turned into wine. It's just like this, whatever he says, whatever he says, even when what he says is going to cost you, do it. Even if what, what he says makes you poor, do it. Even if what he says makes people hate you, do it. Because we live in light of eternity. We live in light of the one who we can trust with our souls and trust with our hearts. We practice the way that Jesus, we say with our lives as we obey that he's king, not, not us. And we overcome, and I'll finish this, we overcome in two, two ways. It's so important because I don't want to just like, like throw out to you Boys, here's how bad your hearts are. Yeah? Now, have a good Sunday. Enjoy dinner. Like, <laughs> chew on that for the week, right? Uh, there's two ways, two things, like repentance and, uh, and rejoicing that, that, that offers us real hope, that, um, that, that offers us like, an experience of, of freedom from, from those things. And they're both important. 
repentance and rejoice. Like when Jesus says, repent and believe, two sides of things. Repentance is first, maybe just even through through this message today, you might have come to it. It's like identifying and speaking out the thing that's come to dominate your life. The thing that's come to dominate your heart. Even if it's a, a good thing to challenge you. The things that cause you anxiety. The things that concern you. The things you put your head in the pillow, your mind spins in your gut wrenches. What are those what are those things? The things that are determining what you do with your day and it's not God. Fear of not having enough fear of rejection, hurts from the past, fear of not being in control. It's about, it's about naming those things. What if Jeroboam in these verses, right? What if when you saw, like, if the people go to Israel and worship, and I might be losing, I might lose my life. What if instead it had a said, of uncompromising, had a said, Jeroboam sought the Lord with all his heart, brought those things before him, and asked him for a solution? That would have been a different story. And just name those things before the God who blessed them with the position and blessed them with the It's not about I'm not saying about getting rid of yourself, I'm not saying about love people less. I'm not I'm saying that all of that is capped by the amount that, that you can love God and it'll enslave you unless you can come to repent it and recognise it. In my life, just to lead by example, in my life there's been and have been cycles of just the idols, deep idols of the, of achievement and approval, right? In my life. Um I Grew up like quite. Um, I learned quickly, right? And so in, in, in my life, I've managed to leverage that over time. So if you give me a job to do, I'll do it beyond your expectation, right? I'll do it like beyond, so that you'll you'll know that I'm very smart, right? Uh, because I was able to do this thing, yeah. And so over time, that's become like uh, some of the centre of whether it's academically or whether it's in church, whether it's in the work that I put into preaching or sermons or work I put into anything. It's like always this, this idol of achievement. If I stop achieving, then who am I? Like, and it always leads to it's diminishing returns. So it so always needs to be something else. It needs to be something bigger. It needs to be something better. And it makes more and more demands on my life, on my time, on my frame of mind, on my mental health, on like, my sleep, on the time I have to spend with my family. Patrice will tell you like times where she's like, Rob, where are you? Like that, I'm sitting there and I'm off in the office in my head, physically present, mentally absent. What am I doing? I'm trying to figure out something like that I've been working on. All good things. I don't think any of the things I've put my hand to have been bad, but what I've managed to do through them is carve out for myself like an identity as I'm the guy who can do stuff, right? I'm the, I'm the guy who can achieve stuff. But it's, it's relentless. And there's no end. There's no end to it. And closely tied into that is the need for it's the need for approval because why do I do that achievement thing? Because then I get I get approval from people, yeah? So is Rob a great preacher? Is Rob great way to play guitar or is Rob great way he did this academically or he's led this or he started this project or he did that. That that's the stuff that goes on through my my head as I'm doing stuff, I'm imagining the approval of people as the the, the, the reward for having done that stuff. And guys, it's relentless. Because then, like, well, I have to say something tough to somebody and they're not going to like me anymore. But the right thing to do is to say the tough thing in love. Or, what if, like, you know, people are coming into church and they're, they're drifting around and I haven't had time to reach out to them and then I feel like they're rejecting me or I feel... Like, there's just, there's just always in my head some, this sort of need for... This need for the approval of people and, and I can be and have been like a slave to that. That that has determined the things that I've done with, with my life and where I put my time and energy. I remember... Um, it came to a head for me, like at one point, remember I taught in um, Assemblies of God, had this um, school of leadership called SALT, right? And I just wrote a master's thesis the year before on discipleship, and then I turned the thesis into a course, 
and then I taught this course on strategies for discipleship to church leaders, right? And I did it for three or four years in a row. But at the end of the second year, somehow they managed to, I don't know how they did this, maybe it was just bad admin, right? But we got feedback from the first year's teaching, like that we'd done at the end of having taught the second year, just about the winter teaching, a third year of it, right? So just like it's probably not useful to you anymore because you're like a year separated from it, you're getting this feedback. But I'll never forget, right? Amongst, I'll never, I can't remember what any of the good feedback was, I'm sure there was some. But I remember amongst it, somebody writing down, of all the modules, this is the only one I didn't like. And uh, I'm mad, I still feel the pain of that. It was like a, eight years on or something, right? And I feel the pain of it because like, the work that I put in, right? Like, like at the time, now I can get up and speak in front of people. This is eight or nine years ago. Like, terrified to speak in front of people. Took took every bit of energy to get up and just even speak in front of a group of people. And uh, ten weeks in a row teaching this course. And uh, the effort that I went into it, it probably taken me like 20, 30 hours a week. Like as I was writing this course from scratch as I was teaching it over a 10 week period, like the sacrifices I'd made. And it wasn't even necessarily that stuff, it was like, but even doing all that stuff wasn't enough. And it's probably the first time that I'd put effort into something in that level, expecting applause and approval. I didn't even get paid for it. Like, like, like no return, but probably in my heart, the return I'm expecting is you now people see Rob as a teacher of leaders, you know what I mean? Or now people see Rob as this smart guy who's doing whatever. And then instead of that, what I get back is, I didn't like it. And uh, to the extent, right, like, that's eight or nine years on. It was anonymous, right? And, um, but still when I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see a picture of somebody who was in that first year, I'm like, I bet it was them, right? I can't scroll past somebody's face, I'm like, I bet you it was so all of them get married with the same brush, right? Like, like from that class. And why, why did that hurt so much, right? You might legitimately say, yeah, well, that, that could be hurtful, right? But it hurt at a deeper level, guys, than it's like something I'm obsessed on, a deeper level than something you just push off. Because I challenged that island, I challenged that, that, that place that I was looking, like a place that I got my identity from, I got my worth from. You know what I mean? It, cha- it challenged it in a way. And effectively, if I'm, if I'm getting my worth from that and somebody says it's not good, well, now what worth do I? What worth do I have? And so, when I say that stuff out loud, right, it's like, it's like embarrassing, right? When I say that out loud, here's the way I was operating. Help people, Rob, and they'll like you. You can get your approval through like serving people and, and, and leveraging your strengths to bless them, right? When I say that out loud, like any one of you are going to look and be like, Rob, you're a dope. Like, why would you be doing that? But, but it should look as stupid to us when we repent, when we say it out loud, as melting down our earrings and worshiping a, and worshiping a calf. So I'm doing, I'm like, taking some aspect of my life, some blessing God has given me. I'm treating it like the ultimate thing, carving my identity, and then when the rug is pulled out from underneath it, now I feel, I feel worthless. And what do I do? Maybe right instead of turning to the Lord, I just double down. Well, now, third year, I'm going to be even better teaching it. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to make sure that I don't get any feedback. That's, that's bad. You know, I'm going to like insist. But really, you know, what's the, what's the real answer? Is repentance? Is naming the thing? Like naming the thing. What's the thing, guys, that if, if, somebody, if somebody said it to you, it would really press your buttons? You're a bad wife, a bad husband, a bad parent. You don't work hard enough. You're ugly. What's the thing? What's the thing that, yeah, look, right, might just hurt on the level of, like, it would hurt anyone, but it would hurt you to another, to another extent. And I tell you, that's one of the diagnostics, that's one of the tools, one of the ways that you can assess what might have overtaken, what might have overtaken your heart instead of God. 
Again, it's not just about naming it. Now it's about replacing it, right? And the way we replace it, I love this, is in the presence of God, guys. It's in rejoicing. Repentance and rejoicing. Rejoicing is so key. What do I mean? So the, the root to that isn't Rob just, you know, intellectually think, God oh, doesn't matter, try and get over it, try and forget about it, do something else. The root to that is me going to the Word of God, me going to worship, me going to people, and just, like, whatever aspect it is of Jesus that I need to magnify, I need to, to look up close, to replace what it is that I'm looking to the world for in my heart, then that's where I need to go and rejoice and worship. So I need to delight in the approval of God. I need to be in the Gospels. I need to, to read about my adoption and my sonship and meditate on it. I need to sing about it. I need to read about it. I need to be in the Word with people around it. I need to talk to friends about it. I need to confess it. I need to pray about it. I, I, I need to like orbit my life around that aspect of who Jesus is that replaces and satisfies what it's, uh, it is that I'm actually looking for in the world. As you diagnose, I kind of tell you that Jesus is always better. That what Jesus offers is always better. And the way into it, guys, is so beautiful because it's, it's a way into rejoicing, like it's rejoicing, intentionally use that word repentance and rejoicing. Rejoicing in the truth of how Jesus is greater in every single way than what it is that we've allowed to occupy the heart. The approval of God rather than the approval of man is like so steadfast and sure and strong and delightful and beautiful and when I press into the presence of the Lord and I know his deep approval when I press into the truths of who Jesus is when I realise that God loves me and created me and delights in me like a, like a perfect father then my need for man's approval like subsides and goes but I need to do that repetitively because the tendency in my heart is to drift back towards towards those things but we can know Victory. Don't let the things that God has blessed you with, whether it's a good mind, a good job, wealth, health, whatever it is, don't let those good things become a bad God. Instead, rejoice till you realise that what you have in Jesus is better than what you're looking at from the world. It's anxiety and the need to control things. Rejoice in Jesus. Rejoice in his goodness. Rejoice in his control. Rejoice that you don't have to be in control. If it's anger or pride, let Jesus humble you. Let him humble you with his greatness and with his power. Like, let, like read Job. Like, read the Psalms. Like, just proclaim the greatness of who God is and realize, like, man, there's strength in your weakness. You feel the need to be the strong person. Strong for those around you, strong for whatever. And it's robbing you. It's becoming an idol. Like, rejoice in your weakness. Why is what Paul said? Rejoice in your weakness. When I'm weak, then I'm, then I'm strong. You realize who God is. Whatever it is, there's an answer. In Jesus, there's no issue your heart you're facing that Jesus isn't greater than. Now, finally, um, how can I obey, uproot those things through repentance and rejoicing? And then, who can I tell is the last thing. And um, I would just, I would just love us to always have this in front of us that what God does in your life, guys, becomes the platform for Him to do it in, in someone else's. That all of those idols that we're facing, that they're the same idols that the that the world faces. So you'll be in your job situation and you'll know, you'll see people who the job is like weighing heavy on. You know, you'll see people whose like hope is in that thing, who are working too many hours, who are too stressed, who are carrying too much with them. And you're you're, you're in possession of the hope of how they can be freed from that. It's how the gospel like makes its way into people's lives. You'll, You'll know people in your family, on your road, who are in relationships that like are, are, are unhealthy to them but they're afraid to leave or they're afraid to confront or they're afraid to fix they're afraid to even try people who are in control in relationships manipulating relationships people who are doing things they know they wouldn't usually do but doing it because 
because and, and you and you have the hope. And I just encourage us to begin to think that way, as we have it, to look around and see. And when Jesus looks around and he says he has great mercy and compassion on people because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And people following after all other sorts of shepherds. And you know the good shepherd. I encourage you to pray for people. I encourage you to ask the Lord for insight into how to... You know, very often we don't know how to go about like telling the gospel to someone. Where they're like, what do I just go and tell them they're a sinner? Do you know what I mean? They don't believe they're a sinner. But the point of connection into... When somebody is really struggling with their kids and you can identify what's actually going on in their heart and how that's always going to be the case and you can offer genuine hope in the Saviour when somebody is struggling work in relationship with money with whatever it is that there's a point of connection into the story of this good and true King who offers us freedom for our souls freedom for our hearts freedom in situations freedom for our minds I'm going to encourage you even if the thoughts of speaking that out to somebody terrifies you because you live for other people's approval like me and you're afraid that they will reject it to challenge that in your heart. Bring that before the Lord and you're like, well, how can I? How can I share? How can I take what it is that you've given me and said to me and share it with the world around me? People need it. Jesus is so good, guys, and we can't, we can't keep him to ourselves. Um, I want us to break, to break bread. Uh, you pass it around. We'll do this in finishing. Sorry, I probably... Probably ran over, apologize. Um, but as we uh, <laughs> But as we uh, as we break bread together, people are looking to do in your hearts, guys, as you reflect, is what does it mean to say Jesus is the greater whatever? Insert in this space. Jesus is greater than my recurring sin. Jesus is greater than the need for acceptance. Jesus is greater than what I get out of my job. Jesus is greater than what I get out of my family. Jesus is greater than my need to be right. He's greater than my need to be righteous. He's greater than my need to be seen as good. Jesus is a greater comfort than anything I could own or any possession. Whatever it is that maybe the Lord has stirred your heart in that way, as we take it the bread and wine as I pray, um, that it could be an act of faith an act of like, repentance and then belief in, um, in who Jesus is. So, Lord, as we come to your table, just in these few moments, as we still our hearts before you, I pray that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking in grace and in love. We hear you knocking on our hearts, Jesus, saying, like, you know, I just want to be Lord over all. You make me Lord over all. You will be blessed. I pray that we would respond in whatever way, whatever is challenged, whatever is brought up, that you bring us a place of repentance. So if your body was broken, your blood was poured out for us, so that we could be made whole, so we could be filled. Jesus, remember the sacrifice that this isn't just some mental exercise or some mode of counseling. But we say that our only hope is in you, Jesus. Our only hope, Lord. Our only hope. We cling fast to the cross, to what was won, what happened in the heavens, Lord God, when you laid down your life and rose again from the dead. We proclaim that you're seated on high, above all rulers and powers of this age and the age to come above all power and dominion, Lord God. That you are there as King of Kings, and I pray that in our hearts you partake in your body and blood, symbolically, we say that you are our King. Your full reign, your full rule 
over our hearts in the name of Jesus. I speak against those idols, those strongholds that are brought up, that have been built up in our hearts over the years, Lord God, through hurts, through decisions, whatever they are, Lord God, I pray that they will be demolished in the name of Jesus through the broken body and the poured out blood of Jesus, the victory of the cross, I pray the demolishing of those strongholds in our lives, Lord God, the demolishing of those idols that they will be torn down, like as in the veil army will go in and tear down the gods of a space, Lord, they will be torn down and destroyed, Lord, and then instead you would rule and you would reign over our lives for your glory and for our good. We trust you, Lord, with our lives. Declare your goodness 